it's December. Where did the year go? I don't know. This We've is... been doing this podcast for more than half of the year now, so that's, that's true. neat. This is our eighth, eighth episode. Merry Christmas to us. <laughs> Merry Christmas. Happy Hanukkah. Happy holidays. Busy, busy all of the month, we know, for our members. For sure. It's just as busy here for us. We've got things rocking and rolling and getting ready to go for World Conference in Nashville and coming up in just a couple of months. Um, we have a lot to look forward to. And um, actually, today on the podcast, we're going to be talking about one of the big things at conference, and that's um, honoring our club executive of the year. And so we get to talk to Bert Ward, who has been chosen for this honor. And I'm really looking forward to chatting with him because I think he'll, he'll have a lot of um, really interesting insight on his career in club management. Absolutely. So if you're not familiar with the Club Executive of the Year Award, um, it is an annual award uh, through Club Management Magazine, CMA's official publication, which recognizes the best in club leadership. Um, Originally, the award was created in 1985, and it was known as the Club Manager of the Year Award. This prestigious honor is presented to the executive who most embodies the values, vision, and professionalism of CMA. And it is a nomination process, so a nomination has to come in from uh, the individual's club, the individual's CMA chapter. Um, So it is a peer-reviewed process, and the committee is made up of CMA members who review all the nominations and make the selection. So Bert Ward, CCMCCE, was named the 2018 Club Executive of the Year. He's a member of the Metropolitan Chapter, and he currently serves as the general manager of Century Country Club in Purchase, New York. In the nomination letter, his president, Lisa McGowan, explained, With her career spanning over 50 years in the club industry, Bert embodies the qualities and experience of a superb club manager. He has a work ethic that is second to none. His can-do attitude, vision, and attention to detail make him the ideal manager for Century Country Club's demanding membership. Over his 21 years at the club, Ward has impacted the quality, performance, and integrity. He's overseen multiple construction projects totaling many millions in renovations, with an eye for long-range planning for the club's functions, aesthetics, and budgets. Under his guidance and leadership, The club has successfully grown and adapted to changing times, always staying vital and on the cutting edge of the modern-day club experience. The full cover story on Burt can be seen in the upcoming January-February 2019 issue of Club Management Magazine that'll be out in late January. Ward is the 33rd club executive to be honored through this award, and he, he will be honored during the CMA Awards Breakfast at the World Conference. We really are looking forward to that event. So here is our chat with Bert. We're good. Cool. Well, we're ready on our end. Um, Melissa, why don't you take it away? <laughs> okay. So first question I want to start with is, how did you get your start in the club industry? Uh, that's pretty easy. Uh, I grew up in it. Uh, my father was a club manager, and uh, from the time I was a young kid, uh, I went to work with him. I started washing dishes when I was 14, and uh, I've done almost every job in the club. I've uh, uh, shined shoes, waited on tables, washed dishes, I've worked in the kitchen, been a busboy, waiter, maitre d', I've done just about everything in the clubhouse that there is to do. So you really worked your way up the ladder. (laughs) I did. That's fantastic. Um, On that note, then how did you transition sort of from 
those, I guess, entry level positions, you know, learning, learning mm-hmm. as a kid. Um, how did you transition then into the management side of things? Well, the, the, it, it wasn't a straight line, that's for sure. Um, I actually left the industry uh, for a while. Um, I uh, was a young guy. I was the assistant manager at Navasin Country Club, and uh, nobody would hire me. Uh, you know, in those days, and this is over 35 years ago, uh, hiring young people into management positions in clubs just wasn't done. And uh, so I left the industry for a while, and during the interim, I uh, owned a restaurant, and I also uh, was a food and beverage manager of uh, Newark Airport. I actually opened the new airport when it was built. Oh, wow. wow. <laughs> that's crazy. So. Well, that's... And I, I got back into the, to the club business. Um, my stepfather, it's uh, another long story, but my <laughs> stepfather uh, was also a club manager and who I had worked for at Navison Country Club, and he was getting ready to retire, and he called me on the phone and wanted to know if I was ready to come back in the club business. And uh, that was 1982 at Forest Hill Field Club in Bloomfield, New Jersey. That's actually really interesting because I often tell the students that uh, your career path in club management isn't necessarily a ladder. It's a jungle gym. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I, and I agree with that. You know, there, there's lots of twists and turns in, in life. And, you know, we, uh, we have all these different things that are presented to us, and we make choices, and you, you never know where that path is going to take you. Absolutely. You don't know what opportunities may present themselves. Uh, you sure don't, and, and you don't know who who you meet and who you interact with and who might be that person picking up the phone and, and calling you, and uh, uh, that's also an interesting story of how I got to Century, and it's exactly based on something uh, strange like that happening. you want to elaborate on that a little bit? Sure, <laughs> sure. I, I got a phone call from a good friend of mine, Eric Caspers, uh, Eric was the uh, GM at Beach Point Club in Mamaroneck, uh, where Randy is mm-hmm. now. And Eric said that, uh, he said, Bert, there's this great job in uh, Westchester, and I think uh, you should go interview for it. And I said, uh, Eric, I'm not moving to Westchester. <laughs> and a week later, he called me again. He said, uh, Bert, you know, you really should consider this job in Westchester. I said, Eric, I'm not moving to Westchester. I'm very happy on the Jersey Shore. And um, he said, okay. And then a week later, he called me and he said, I spoke to uh, the search firm, and uh, they would like to interview you at conference. <laughs> and uh, at that point, he had wore me down. And so uh, I took a ride up, and I looked at the club. And the following week, I uh, uh, met the search firm at conference. We had a, a long conversation. Uh, actually, it was Jimmy Goslin, uh, who was a past president of CMA. Mm-hmm. And he said, well, I, re- I think you should go for the interview. And I said, okay. And uh, I said, when are they interviewing? He said, next Saturday <laughs> and Sunday. And I said, well, that's going to be a little problem because I'm on a cruise ship on Saturday afternoon. Oops. <laughs> Oops, yeah, that wasn't going to work so easy. Um, but he said, well, let me get back to you. So he called me back and he said, they're willing to meet you at 7 o'clock in the morning if you can find a way to get on your cruise. So I did some research, and sure enough, there was a flight that got me in. I actually got on the cruise ship 
as they were pulling the gangway up. <laughs> I was the last person they let up. Nice. Yeah, and it, it's even a stranger story because we negotiated um, on a ship-to-shore telephone. <laughs> this is uh, 22 years ago, and uh, that wasn't so easy to do. No. The technology was not in place for that. It was uh, missed calls and dropped calls and oh, conversations yeah. you couldn't hear. <laughs> Uh, but so here I am, 22 years later in Century. Wow, that's quite a story. Um, I think that's fascinating to me that that your journey has been so, um, like you said, not linear. Oh, it's um, definitely not linear. You know, I've done other things, and uh, you know, the path you think you're taking is not always the path that you end up. Absolutely. And, and that's life. You know, that, that is just life. You know. It's one thing to plan your future and have all these things laid out. And then funny thing is life gets in the way of it. Oh, totally. I think I was either reading something or watching something the other day where the quote was repeated multiple times, like, life is what happens when you're busy making plans. Yep. And I've heard that quote. Yeah, I think that's absolutely true in, in your case. Like, you know, you can sit down and you can try to plan out what your, you know, three to five to ten year plan might look like. But, you know, you might get a phone call the next day that could completely change that. And yeah, and, it, and it's interesting, even if you look at my education, my education certainly wasn't linear. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I quit college uh, back in the 60s, and when that was, uh, that was an automatic requirement, you better enlist or you're getting drafted into the Army. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I did that, and uh, so I did not have a college degree. And at one point I said, you know what? I need to, to do this. This is important to me. So I went back and I got my bachelor's degree. And along the way, I said, hmm, I think I should have a master's too. <laughs> so I continued on and uh, got a master's of uh, science and management. And uh, I, I think it, it, I, I tell the story because I think it's important for young people to know, again, that the path does not always have to be linear. No. And, you know, there are things that happen in life. And, but going back to school and finishing your education, I think, is something that's really important for everybody to do. Oh, especially in this day and age, I think it's almost, um, it's definitely a requirement to even get your foot in the door in many places is to have some kind of college degree, whether it's, you know, an associate's, a bachelor's, or in some cases, you're not going to get anywhere if you don't even have a master's degree. Yeah. So it's... I, I think it, 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 it can still be done, mm-hmm. but it... it that usually happens when you're in a position where you're promoted yep. uh, and you start at a club. But when you, if you want to make that move, if you want to jump from one club to another club, uh, having that on your resume is very important. Absolutely. It shows a commitment to the industry. And, and I truly believe that one of the reasons I even got the interview at Century when I applied was that um, I had a bachelor's and a master's. Mm-hmm. And I think they looked at that and that was important to them. I wouldn't be surprised at all. Um, along those lines, then, what advice would do you wish maybe that you could go back and give yourself maybe when you started in the industry? Wow, that's interesting. <laughs> uh, what advice would I give myself? I, I, I think I, I, what I did was fine for me. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, first of all, don't be afraid to take detours. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that that's really important that, you know, you have to do what you think is right for you and, and at a certain time. And, you know, not every decision turns out to be the best one, but uh, you have to recover from that and, and move forward. But, yeah, you know, I, I think 
Don't be afraid of life. I like that. And I think having an open mind, like you said, to, to whatever opportunities may arise and um, having an open mind to challenges in your path as well. I mean, not, not everything will work out perfectly, but if you approach it with a, more of a positive attitude than a negative one, I think mm-hmm. we can have a better outcome overall. Yeah, I, th- I, th- I think that uh, you just can't be afraid of, of what you're doing and you have to go in and do it to the best of your ability. And, you know, our, our industry sometimes, uh, that's not enough uh, due to politics and clubs and uh, things that we have no control over as managers, you know, a change in the board, a shift in the demographics. All those things have uh, forced many managers to make changes in their career that they weren't planning on and weren't prepared for. But uh, I think it's important that you recognize that that is always a potential in our business and that you, you it's just part of life again. You know, you have to move forward. Definitely. Um, I think that you bring up an interesting point, those, those kind of detours that uh, arise for many managers, you know, whether it's politics with your club board or... Um, within your maybe your local chapter or whatever that force you to move from club to club. You've been at Century for 21, 22 years almost. Uh, how have you how have you battled some of those challenges? Uh, the urge to change jobs or, or just dealing with the politics? <laughs> Either one, I guess, but maybe dealing with the politics first. There are, there are two different pressures that mm-hmm. are really exerted on you. You know, um, uh, when you manage a high-profile century is, and during my tenure on the CMA board, and especially as president, I was very visible to the outside community, and I received lots of phone calls. Uh, you interested in this? Would you like to move there? And you have to take stock of, of where you are and what's important in your life, and uh, for me, uh, travel is one of the most important things in my life, and being able to do things uh, outside of work and having a, a balanced life. So for me, it was easy to shrug those off and say, no, you know, there, there's bigger opportunities out there. There's probably more well-known clubs. Uh, there's more money, definitely. But uh, my 22 years at Century have been wonderful. I wouldn't trade them for a thing. Uh, then there's the, the other uh, part of the equation is how do you balance uh, going through six or seven presidents uh, in your tenure, and I think it's uh, being involved, and most importantly, I think that the club can sense whether the manager is on their side or not. Mm-hmm. Um, and if and if and if you are a uh, a match in that marriage, uh, you can usually weather through any change in the demographics or in the politics of the club. Definitely, I think that's great. But, but you, you should be aware of it. You know, every, every managers who say that, you know, they're not involved in the politics of a club and, and, you know, that's not their job. And, well, I disagree with that. I think you need to be involved in the politics of the club. You need to know what's going on and because that, that's your future, too. Mm-hmm. If, you, if you ignore it and you, you don't try and participate in it, and I'm not trying to say that you should tell the board who the next president is going to be or who the next even board members are going to be. But uh, there's ways behind the scenes to, to exert some gentle influence mm-hmm. how the, the club 
what the path is in the future. Certainly. I think we talked about that a little bit with our, we had a couple previous episodes um, where we talked about some governance issues and, and sort of that point of knowing, knowing the political landscape within your club, whether it's the board or committees or otherwise. Um, but yeah, having the wherewithal to, to know about it, be cognizant of what's going on, but not meddling where you ought not meddle. <laughs> I agree, you, you, because that can only get you in trouble. Exactly, exactly. You really need to know what's going on Yeah. in the politics. It's very important. Certainly. I mean, it's important to, to be aware of the environment that you're in so that you can make educated decisions as a manager, um, whether it's day-to-day operationally or long-range planning, um, but yeah, not getting in the middle of some of the maybe more minor political squabbles that may start small but could end up being very big if you stick your nose where it doesn't belong. I agree with that. So looking um, looking back and, and looking forward, what do you think are the biggest challenges uh, for the club industry today? Uh, for me, in New York State, governmental regulations and interference. I mean, we are constantly uh, uh, dealing with the government. Uh, sometimes it things seems like it's on a daily basis. Uh, we just implemented a, uh, a new sexual harassment training mm-hmm. law in the state of New York. Uh, we have uh, this hospitality wage order that we deal with right. that details very specifically how employees are paid and overtime and uh, uh, tip credits and uniforms and uh, it was written specifically for our industry because of abuses that were taking place in primarily in Manhattan. Um, the environmental issues, uh, underground storage tanks, water, pesticide applications, uh, wage and hour, uh, and we just we're in the midst of implementing a graduated uh, a minimum wage increase in New York yeah. State. Uh, we go to $12 an hour on January 1st, and then in every January 1st thereafter until we reach $15 an hour, a uh, dollar a year. So dealing with the government and the bureaucracy, um, I, I think it's the biggest challenge for our industry um, because we're, you're not able to, to just run your business anymore. Every day you have to be aware of uh, not breaking a law and of keeping the club from being sued and keeping it out of the newspapers. There's, there's so many things going on. Absolutely. And it's, that's an ever-changing landscape. It's, not, it's, it's very dynamic. There's nothing static about the regulatory legislative landscape at all. So you constantly have to be on your toes there. Certainly not yes. at the federal level and definitely not in New York State. <laughs> yeah. New, York, New York State is, and I, I guess New York State and California are the two states that probably have the most uh, regulations dealing with employees yes. uh, currently on the books. Uh, other states, states, I'm sure, will catch up. But, uh, yeah, it's really interesting. It's even like if you want to do a minor project on the golf course, uh, mm-hmm. In our community, you have to get a permit to move dirt. So uh, it, it's not possible to just go out and run your run your course the way you want to uh, without spending a lot of time filling out permit applications and paying fees. And, and it, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a challenge to, to make sure that you're not breaking the law. In our, in our town, you're not even allowed to cut down a tree without getting a permit. Mm-hmm. Right. So, so it, it, it's, your, your hands are really tied. Uh, so you, and, and the funny thing is you never know who's going to turn you in. 
you know, you cut a tree down, it might be one of the, your members' favorite trees. You can call up the town to see if you got a permit for it. Uh, so it's interesting. <laughs> and we've seen that turn into, those types of issues turn into just as much as a PR disaster as it is the, the, oh, the fine several, disaster, right? <laughs> yeah, there's several clubs in Westchester that wish they had gotten permits for cutting trees down. <laughs> I can tell you that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you mentioned that you really like to travel. Um, what else do you like to do in your free time? Uh, drink wine. <laughs> <laughs> Good answer. You know, I'm, I'm one of the founding members of the, the Wine Society, and I'm a past host of the Wine Society. Absolutely. And I support everything they do. And uh, in my travels, I try and make sure that wherever I'm going, if there's a wine-growing region, that's a part of my trip. Uh, but uh, food and wine, I, I like to cook, too, uh, and bake. I love to bake myself, so I baking feel you. Baking is kind of interesting because baking is uh, really about chemistry. Absolutely. Mixing, mixing <clears throat> ingredients together and hope it turns out. Mm-hmm. It's much less uh, loosey-goosey. Like cooking, you can kind of just throw a little bit of this, a little bit of that, and it m- usually turns out fine. If you mess up on baking, it's a disaster. Scientific. There's a, there's a recipe in uh, Southern Living Magazine for the perfect chocolate cake. Huh. At the very beginning of the recipe... It says, uh, do not screw with this recipe. <laughs> you can't. It'll mess everything up. <laughs> do not change anything. So I, screwed, I screwed with the recipe. I used a different size cake pan. Mm-hmm. Didn't work. Not perfect. No, no didn't work. It looked ugly. It was lopsided. <laughs> uh, so next time I made it, I did everything the way it was, and I think they're right. It is the perfect chocolate cake. There you go. I'm going to have to look that one up. Yeah, me so, too. Online. Uh, I definitely. Right? I'm, I'm, I'm a Southern Living subscriber, so I'll have to find <laughs> oh, that one. <laughs> so other than Nashville, coming up in February, what, where's your next trip? Um, I'm, in January, I'm leaving for uh, a cruise uh, to Norway. Oh, awesome. We're going up, uh, leaving from London and going all the ways up the coast of Norway, past the Arctic Circle, Ooh. in search of the Northern Lights. Fantastic. Oh, well, I hope you amazing. see them. I hope yeah. you see them. They're amazing. Some dog sweating and yes. uh, some other stuff. And uh, it should be a very interesting uh, journey. Uh, I'm not necessarily a cold weather guy, but uh, my bucket list item is the Northern Lights. So I figure if I don't see them in two weeks, especially with the dark nights out at sea, I probably never will. <laughs> I'd say your odds are probably pretty good. My husband is from know. My husband's from Florida, and I took him to Alaska for his the first time a couple of years ago for Christmas. And he also wanted to see the Northern Lights. And lucky for him, the first morning we were there, they were out at about 5 o'clock in the morning. So I dragged him out of bed, and it was maybe 2 below. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I drove him down the valley, and we watched the Northern Lights for probably a good half hour, 45 minutes. And it kind of blew his mind. So I yeah. hope that you get to see them. I, I do, too. I, I, I'm looking forward to the experience and... Uh, we're going to be so far north and uh, out at sea at night that uh, if we don't see them, uh, I'll, I'll definitely be disappointed. Yeah, well, my fingers are crossed for you, and I hope to hear about your trip when we see you at conference. That would be awesome, I'll tell you. Awesome. Well, Thank I you so much I think for that wraps us up. Thanks for, ha- thanks for calling in. Oh, great. Uh, it was uh, my pleasure. Awesome. Tell us a little bit about your club. Well, um, we're a property owners association, and uh, we're one of the largest uh, associations in the nation. 
Uh, we have 30,000 residents. Uh, wow. We have seven golf courses, five mm. uh, 18-hole championship, uh, two nine-hole golf courses. Wow. Uh, we have three driving ranges, uh, uh, four clubhouses, um, seven lakes and parks. We have, uh, by the end of 19, we'll have almost 90 miles worth of uh, hiking and mountain biking trails. Oh, that's awesome. Wow. Yeah, pools, fitness facilities, just just everything. <laughs> so definitely full service. Yeah, um, yeah. If I gave you the whole laundry list, it would probably take up the entire episode. <laughs> Great. So tell us about your idea and how it got started. So uh, this idea, we call it Coffee and Questions, and, it, and uh, it, I'm not going to take any credit for it. It was a, it was a property owner's idea. Um, it was actually at my last community. Um, I was at uh, Rumbling Mall Resort, uh, which is in uh, North Carolina. I was there for nine years, and, uh, and a property owner came up and, and suggested that I have set aside time um, twice a month just for property owners. And I responded back with, you know, you can send me an email. I respond very quickly. Um, I, my door is always open. Um, I even provide property owners with, uh, you know, my, on my business card, I have my cell phone number so they can reach me at any time. And so, you know, I always was, uh, I was of the opinion that I was very open and, and very accessible to property owners. And, and the, this property owner came back and said, you know, well, it's a little bit different. It, it, people know that you have a very uh, busy job, and they don't want to interrupt you. But if you set aside time specifically just for property owners, then they know that you're, they're not interrupting you. Um, so, you know, we were, we were actually having a cup of coffee as we were going through this idea. And, uh, you know, hence we developed coffee in questions and so twice a month in fact i had one today <laughs> this morning at 10 o'clock um you know we provide coffee and twice a month you can come in and ask me any question you want and 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 i commit that i'm going to stay there the entire time it's usually only an hour and some you know one time i you know there's a big issue going on with the uh, you know with with the community, and uh, I had about 100 people there. But other times I've had one person, and it doesn't matter. I'm there for the entire time. I'll answer questions. Um, and so I just really feel that it has improved transparency and, and really uh, made it easier for people to come and ask questions and not feel like they're interrupting me in any way. Definitely. I mean, it, it becomes almost a by appointment thing for them in the sense that they know that they have that time of yours to come and talk to you. That's really cool. And it's their time. Yeah. And, and, and you know, I, I think that uh, many, of the, many of them were just trying to be polite. Mm -hmm. He's so busy, we don't want to interrupt him. But this is their time. Right. Where they're not interrupting me, they're not taking me away from whatever I'm working on. So... It has really worked very nicely, and, um, you know, I, I found uh, that I had a drop in uh, the number of emails that I, I was receiving, the number of calls that I was getting from property owners because I had seen them at the most recent coffee and questions. Nice. And so it made it a little bit easier because, 
Now, sometimes emails can take you quite a long time to compose. Um, but For sure. it's so much easier to, to answer the question in person, and if they have follow-up questions, it makes it much easier. Mm-hmm. And I would imagine that this has also helped build relationships with your um, property owners, right? Absolutely, yeah, because uh, you know, I want to make sure that they know that uh, you know, I'm here for them. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and uh, you know, I always tell people that I will always give you an honest and direct answer. It may not be the answer you wanted to hear, <laughs> but I'm always going to give you an honest, direct answer. I'm never going to blame. I'm not going to blame the board. I'm not going to blame the budget. You know, I'm, I'm going to be truthful. And, you know, you, you get some great ideas sometimes and sometimes not so great ideas. I'm very <laughs> honest. Um, if it's not a workable idea, I try and phrase it very carefully, but, mm-hmm. you know, I'm not going to, you know, oh, I'll look into that and never, you know, never do so. You know, I always give them a direct answer. All right. Well, you mentioned that you've, um, you know, had kind of a drop in calls and emails, which obviously is, is probably a time saver for you. Were there other, any other unintended outcomes or consequences of implementing the idea? No, I, I think that, uh, yeah, well, I don't know how to answer that question. <laughs> other than I, I would say that, um, you know, you always get the transparency question. Mm-hmm. You, know, you need to be more transparent. And, and as many things as we do, you know, the minutes are available on, on our website and the, the agenda is and the meetings are open to the public and you still get the questions of transparency. But I seem to get less questions about transparency now that, you know, people have gotten to know that they can come to me during coffee and questions, and they know that I'm going to give them an honest answer. Um, and so I think that that has improved um, in the, the transparency. Mm-hmm. So on sort of in that same vein then, I mean, I would imagine that the, the feedback from um, your members has been positive. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, and so the, and since we've had it on the, at the same time, uh, it's, you know, the second Tuesday of the month at, at 10 a.m. and the fourth Tuesday of the month at 4 p.m. We've had it at the same time. I've been here for three years now. So it, it's, it's very easy for them to remember. We even created a little logo um, that we include in, you know, when, when we have new members uh, they can see, you know, we give them informational uh, information on when they can, how they can get information. And we have just a nice little logo, and the logo includes when our when our meeting times are. So it's become this regular thing that they don't even have to question. It's always the second Tuesday. It's always the fourth Tuesday, and it just makes it a lot, a lot easier for them. Nice. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for sharing your idea with us. I think it's got great applicability, and, and I think as all struck clubs are struggling with tra- that transparency and making sure management is approachable, it should be easy to implement. Well, and the other thing that I'll, that I'll do is I'll often include or invite uh, guests. So for today, um, I had uh, our director of golf, and I had our director of golf course maintenance. Oh, that's a really um, good idea. And uh, so they could ask questions about the community or they could ask questions about the golf courses. And we got a little bit of both today. Um, so it made it convenient for them. I've had uh, uh, the director of fitness join me one time and, and Lakes another time. 
and we'll let people know um, uh, that we're going to have these mm-hmm. guests join me. And that way, you know, it's not only just the golf people, but it's the lakes people and sure. the, the tennis people. Uh, so it just makes it easier for them. Uh, and, uh, you know, maybe maybe someone has has wanted to send me an email, but they, they've held off, and all of a sudden they see that the director of golf is going to be there. Well, you know, they might show up and ask a question that's... Uh, been uh, bothering them for a couple a couple months or something like that. Yeah, that's great. That's a really good way, I think, um, also to then, again, build those relationships between your members and then your staff as well. So they, I don't know, I feel like they'll probably feel more comfortable coming forward with questions in the future. Absolutely. And, and the, I think the key there is the honest, direct. Mm-hmm. You, can't, you can't pull any punches. You just got to be honest and direct and, and if they give you a good idea you know make sure you follow through on it um, you know if you're in a the golf committee meeting and, and I get 10 suggestions what I'll do to you know what I teach my staff is if you get 10 suggestions uh, that you're going to implement you know pick five the five easiest and implement those as quickly as possible so that the next time they're on the golf course uh, and they're looking around they realize wow they already took care of it. It's only been two or three days. And what that also does is it allows you to buy time on the harder ones, mm-hmm. the ones that may take you a month or two or three to implement, but they'll see that that you listened uh, and that they weren't, they just didn't come in and spin their wheels and yeah, 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 whatever, you know, and, and then you don't do anything. If you do something very quickly, um, then it really makes them feel that, that you, they were heard and you valued their statements. Definitely. That's great advice. Mm-hmm. I think that's true for anyone. Like, you can tackle some of the easier things on your list to show that you are working on a project. <laughs> for Absolutely. sure. Oh, yeah, yeah. You could do it, you could do it with your boss. Uh-huh. <laughs> for sure. Well, I think that about wraps us up. Um, I just wanted to thank you again, uh, Tom, for chatting with us today and sharing a little bit more about Coffee Talk, Coffee and Questions. You got it. Well, that wraps us up for December and, and for 2018. 2018. Oh, my gosh. How is this possible? Well, we just want to say thank you for listening to us for the last eight months <laughs> and hopefully for the future. Um I think, well, I speak for both of us when I say that we really enjoy hearing your feedback on these episodes um, and whatever other sassy commentary we get via Twitter or other social media channels. It always Jeff Isbell. Jeff Isbell, yes, that's you. Um, (laughs) But we do really enjoy getting uh, getting your notes on the podcast. This is something that um, obviously we went out on a limb to try and we've enjoyed learning more about this, you know, medium, but, um, I think this is a great place for us to grow in the future. So please keep giving us your notes and remember to rate and review and subscribe to us in the iTunes store. Um, we've been there for a couple months now. So if you want to make sure that you get every episode as it's released, subscribe on iTunes and it will automatically download to your phone, which I think is pretty nifty. We will be back in the new year. Our January episode will dive right into a conference preview. So all the good behind the scenes kind of stuff, including a couple, uh, suggestions for fun places to visit in Nashville. 
while neither Kyle or I have attended it. Have been to Nashville yet? We do have some great suggestions from our we'll, uh, speak from like our team. experts. So be sure to tune in with us. Until then, Happy New Year, everybody! Happy New Year. Bye.